Welcome to Ride Over Stride, episode 58. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis. This is a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm here again with Master Horseman Van Hargis. And Van, what's new in your world? What's new in my world? You know, I don't even know if it's new anymore, Laura, but you know, it's hot. Here we are in November and it's hot. We, <laughs> we want to, we, you know, I was thinking the other day, we were up in British Columbia and, uh, up there, it was really cold already. And the folks were asking what the weather was like down here. And says, well, we only have two seasons and which is like almost hot and hot. And here we are in November, and by golly, it's still hot. <laughs> but it's uh, everything ridiculous. is absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I think I looked today right before we came into the studio to record, and it was like 87 degrees down here in South Texas. And 87 be one thing, but 87 and humid in yeah. November, that's, that's pretty darn good. I, I was going to say, we're having the same thing in North Texas, although here, our high a couple days ago was barely 60, and then today it's almost 90, so... You know, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, but the good thing is, we had some inquiries recently about folks that much live in much much colder climates, wanting to know if they could come down here and spend the winter time with us. And of course, we're like, yeah, but you might want to bring your swimsuit. And <laughs> I mean, it's 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 hard for folks to realize that it, do we really have such a incredibly mild winter? And um, very pleased though, because it gives us an opportunity to be active for a much longer period of time. We don't really have any downtime, which makes yeah. it a little bit more appetizing when folks want to come down here and, and visit with us. And, and of course, we always encourage that. So we, it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that we're, we have such good mild weather. But Laura, hey, today we're going to talk about something we, we've had a lot of questions of late about what my, what my attitude is toward uh, hoof care and dental care and how that might relate into horse training. So I thought that's what we would touch on today, if, if, if you'd kind of appease me and kind of help us kind of go that direction a little bit later. Sure. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm assuming you mean hoof care and dental care for the horse, right? Not, not you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Hoof care and dental care for the horses, you bet. Although, you know, riding a horse with a toothache might not be a good idea, but, <laughs> but yeah, we are talking about the stuff with the horses. <laughs> You know, recently I had a farrier come out and uh, it, it's a new guy we've got working with us. And uh, he was referred to me. He had moved here from out of state, moved to South Texas, and we're incredibly blessed to have him. And if folks are interested in me passing on their name to him or his name to them, just to contact us on our website, we'll be more than happy to do so. But what I'm so intrigued with this guy is that he's he's way beyond what I would call just that guy that just throws a bunch of tools in the back of his truck and drives around the neighborhood trimming people's horses. I mean, this guy truly is a farrier. And what I mean by that is, is that he understands the anatomy. He understands how a horse's hoof actually works. There's a lot of guys out there really good about trimming nails, so to speak, but they just don't know enough about the anatomy of the horse's foot and how little bitty things can make a really big difference. And, and something I want to get across to people is that if you've ever walked around in a pair of shoes that almost fit, and then you're walking around in a pair of shoes that really did fit, only you know the difference, right? So the horse has no way to communicate back to us. 
So that's why it's so important that we don't do a trial and error thing with those guys. We truly do work with a horse hoof expert, for lack of a better term. In other words, somebody who really is a farrier and not a trimmer or a shoer. I, I just can't emphasize that enough because, you know, we've all heard the old cliche that, you know, no hoof, no horse. And, you know, the foundation starts with a hoof. That honestly could not be any more true. And I want to give somebody kind of a real life example something that that they might be able to relate to if they've had any sort of athletic background or dancing background for that matter. But when I was in college, as weird as it may sound to some people, but I I literally stumped my toe and jammed my toe. And I was a running back, so I I was very dependent and reliant on my feet for balance and, of course, my feet for speed. And you would think that just a jammed toe wouldn't make that big of a difference, you know, but I was pretty much disabled. I mean, I had to go to the coach and say, coach, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to play this Saturday. And he, he looks at me and says, well, why not? And I, it was hard for me to say, well, I've got a jammed toe. But I mean, I was literally not able to push off and accelerate. I wasn't able to stop. I wasn't able to dart left or right. It was as if I could just barely walk a straight line without really bad pain. And all it was, was a jammed toe. So we are so incredibly dependent on our performance, especially if we're an athlete. And let's face it, our horses, for us, are athletes. We ask them to do things that are athletic. Even if it's a trail ride, that's like us walking a marathon. So we have to take into consideration that the horse's hoof care and the pain or the lack thereof is so incredibly important to some things that we might take so totally for granted. So we just want to really encourage people that because horses can't communicate to us until it's too late, what I mean by that is, is that by the time they're communicating to us by showing signs of lameness, it's too late. There there may be damage that's already being done or this may have already been caused. So that's why it's so incredibly important to have a true farrier do their hoof work, even if it's just a trim. I've heard that so many times. Well, I don't really need to pay a good guy to do it because I just get my horse's feet trimmed. But that's still very important that we have a true farrier come in and do our hoof work. Somebody that truly understands the anatomy of the horse and most importantly, the anatomy of the lower leg and even most and more importantly still is the anatomy of the hoof itself. It's I, I can't emphasize how important that is, Laura. Well, so how does somebody get qualified as a farrier as opposed to just somebody who learned, you know, taught themselves how to trim trim their horse's hooves? Well, that's actually a great question because, I mean, there's a lot of guys that will kind of be self-taught. Like, for example, as I was growing up, my stepfather was a farrier. So I learned a lot just by watching him and studying and, of course, then just doing it, a, a little trial by error. you know. But I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I, I learned a little bit there. Had I decided to go forward and try to make trimming feet uh, or putting shoes on a living, then it would have behooved me to go to a qualified, and there's several advertised out there, farrier schools. And these are schools that are approved by the American Farriers Association, for one. And that means the instructors are master farriers. They're journeyman farriers in other cases, and they just know that industry. They know the hoof care. They know the hoof anatomy. And they also have the skill and the ability to teach that. So when these students can go to those classes, and some classes are as long as eight weeks, and some are even longer than that, depends on how much you want to learn, 
And then uh, a good quality. Once I find out that someone has attended a school and they graduated with that school with good marks, meaning that they come out of there with good recommendations, then the next thing I want to know is what are they doing for their continuing education? In other words, are they continuing to study? Are they continuing to learn? And how they can do that is if they are members of the American Fairies Association. And I want to ask those guys, well, do you ever attend conferences or, or continuing education courses? And if they do, then now that guy's got my interest. I want to know that this guy uh, really does have the knowledge and the ability to, to practice that knowledge uh, before I kind of let that guy bend over and start working on my horse's feet. I just I can't emphasize how important that really is. So to me, Laura, a great source is to to ask a guy point blank if if he's a member of the American Farriers Association and where he graduated from from Farrier School and you know, how did he finish? Did he just kind of pass the course or did he do well? And was he highly recommended by his instructors? I don't think that's too much to ask of someone that we're going to be giving them really good money to work on our horses over six to eight weeks at least and to keep our horses sound. So uh, it's it's not a difficult question to ask. And sometimes these guys are quite expensive. So especially when they start getting into corrective, corrective work and corrective shoeing, so for a guy that we're going to spend that much money with, I don't think he should be offended by answering a few simple questions. Well, no, I would agree. And so, you know, you raise the issue of expense, and I realize this may be different in different regions, but what do you think is the the difference in cost between a farrier who's qualified and trained the way you've described it and a shoer, or, you know, or just, you know, somebody that kind of hung Well, that's, that's another good question. For example, just like in our region, a big red flag comes at me when somebody says, oh, I'll trim your horses for $25 a head. And some might think, well, gosh, if I've got four horses, that's a hundred bucks. But if that guy's doing it for 25 bucks, <laughs> uh, no, no offense, but for this area, that's a little bit underpriced. So it just kind of makes me wonder if this guy really thinks a lot of his own skills and if he thinks a lot of his, of himself and he thinks a lot of his, of his schedule then there's probably a reason why he's pricing himself so incredibly low. The guys that tend to charge a little bit more, it's just like any other thing in our capitalistic society. There's a supply and demand. And if this guy's really good at what he does, he's only got, he's only one him. So there's only so much of him to go around and to get on that guy's schedule, it may cost you a little bit more money. And if he's got all the qualifications to go with that, meaning that those things we talked about earlier, he's got a good recommendation from the school he graduated from. He's a member of the American Fairs Association. He's active in his continuing education. Then maybe that guy would be worth paying a little bit more. And I know in our area, anywhere between 45 to $50 just for trimming is usually fairly competitive for a guy that's you know, got that list. Now, with, with me, sometimes it's a little bit different because guys, and I don't want this to come across wrong to folks, but a lot of guys want to work for me. And the reason they do is because they know that even though a lot of times the horses that we're training are in training and they may be a little bit unpredictable, but they know that they know me well enough to know that I'm not going to let the farrier get in a, a tough situation with a horse. That if, uh, if the horse is not acting the way we'd really like for it to act and behave, then I'll just flat out tell the guy, tell you what, we got to work with him a little bit more, come back in a few weeks and we'll make sure he's ready for you. So those guys love to come to work for me because we ask our horses to be very well behaved. We have them very well trained before the farrier ever comes out to do his job. So th those guys may not charge me quite as much because we, we bounce ideas off each other. We're kind of educating each other along the way. And I make sure that the horses are standing incredibly quiet and easy for them to make their job 
as easy as possible for them. Uh, but on the, and just, and again, I'm just speaking in our region, $25 would be on the low side. $50 would be kind of on the, on about the right side as far as just the pricing. But you hit the nail on the head a little while ago, Laura. Every region is slightly different. So that's why we want to make sure that you're asking those appropriate questions. What are these guys charging? What's your education like? Do you have good recommendation from your instructors? What school did you graduate from? And uh, are, you, are you a member of the American Affairs Association? And do you practice continuing education? Okay, so anything else we should know about hoof care before we move on to the other another part of the animal that you mentioned you were going to talk about? Well, I think that kind of covers this again, just we're just blanketing this, aren't we? But that I think that kind of gives us a good idea as to where we want to start with the farrier work. Uh, but also understand too that depending on what your needs really are, and only you know that, you have to be really aware and and really honest with yourself as to what your needs really are. For example, if you go trail riding a lot, you're probably going to want to have your horse either shod or you really want to have your horse fitted well with um, those removable rubber boots. And there's so many different brands out there. I don't want to go there, but your farrier can oftentimes help you get your horse fitted properly for those protective boots. But at the same time, if you, if all you do is ride at home and you're not hauling your horses to different environments, you're not on rock a lot, there may not be a need at all to have any protective wear on your horse's feet, like shoes or those protective boots. Maybe you're, maybe you're just fine with just riding barefooted. Here at the ranch, for example, it's very sandy down here in South Texas, and especially our arenas here are very sandy. So unless I'm hauling my horses to environments that I'm not familiar with, we have our horses here at the ranch uh, barefoot 90% of the time. The only time we do have a farrier put shoes on in most cases is that if we need some sort of corrective work done, for example, if we've got a horse that's maybe got a stone bruise for whatever reason, might be out in the pasture or he may, he may have just arrived on the facility with with a little bit of tender foot, we may have the farrier come out and, and evaluate that with us and determine whether or not he needs some sort of protection. And then at the same time, what degree protection? Does he need a pad or does he simply just need a, a shoe put on for a little bit of added protection? So those are the types of things we need to be really aware of as to what do we really need in the way of of the shoe or the protective boot and what do we really need from the services that that the farrier can provide. And those are, again, great conversations to have with a farrier. But before we ever have those conversations with him, we need to be aware of what those concerns are to us so that we can ask the appropriate question. But again, I hope that kind of covers everything kind of blanket wise with folks and uh and, and again, if they have any questions about that or if they'd like for us to try to refer them to American Farriers Association or some various uh, farrier schools, then we'd be more than happy to do that, Miss Laura. So that's one area. I certainly get how hoof care matters for our horse's health, for the horse's performance, for all those sorts of things. Another area of the horse of horse care that you mentioned you wanted to talk about today was dental care. Talk about why that matters. Well, the dental care for horses is just as important for them as it is for us. In other words, everything that we consume obviously goes in our mouth, we chew it up, and then, of course, it goes into our digestive tract. The easier and the more efficient that that is means that we we get a greater amount of the nutrients that's available to us of whatever we eat. Of course, if you're eating crap, it doesn't matter how you chew it up. It's still going to be crap when it comes out the other end, <laughs> uh, ex- <laughs> except we might. We might refer to it a little bit more slangly, but but nonetheless, it's still, it, the dental care is so incredibly important, not just how the horses can eat and consume it, but believe it or not, it actually affects their performance in a lot of cases. 
I want to try to touch a little bit on both. And I'll just kind of give you some, again, just some very vague type things that are just really good for us to consider. I'm always asked, well, when do I start looking at my horse's dental care? And it's pretty early. In other words, when I wean a baby off its mom, I know that I've got probably another year to two years, probably closer to two years before this baby's going to start shedding his caps. And the horse shedding his caps is like us adults or us kids uh, getting rid of our baby teeth as our adult teeth come in. The same thing happens with horses. They have baby teeth and they have adult teeth. Well, depending on the horses, their conditions, and a lot of things to go involved, but somewhere uh, during the time of two to four, and sometimes as late as five, those horses will begin to shed their baby teeth. We call those caps, but they begin to shed their caps as as their new adult teeth come in. That's a very important time to know when to start looking into our horses' mouths pretty regularly. And the reason why is that if those caps don't shed on time and they don't shed properly, then we have to understand that horses' teeth grow forever. In other words, once they start growing, they never stop growing until they basically fall out when they're very old. So what happens is, is that what keeps the horse's teeth even is that as they eat, they grind against each other. So the top teeth grind against the bottom teeth and and vice versa. Well, if the caps don't shed properly, then that means that the, the tooth that's not shedding is protecting the adult tooth from being ground down properly. And once the tooth does cap, now the horse's teeth are uneven. And because they have to work against each other, in other words, the top tooth has to work against the bottom tooth, if they're uneven, then that means that one tooth is going to grow until it finally does come in contact with the bottom tooth. As a result of that, you can get what they call a wave inside the horse's mouth. So it's very important that once a horse begins to shed their baby teeth, we want to make sure that they're shedding them very evenly so that they don't develop those waves from the from the teeth not having each other to grind against properly. So once a horse begins to shed, in other words, anywhere between 18 months to two years, once they begin to shed, I begin to stay, take very close uh, or pay very close attention to it. And I begin to watch and observe on my babies. And in some cases, they end up with situation where they call retaining the caps. And all that means is that the cap is just not letting go. That baby tooth is just holding on. And as the longer that baby tooth holds on, it's actually actually protecting the tooth underneath it from being ground down properly against the opposing tooth. So in that situation, that's when we take the horse into the vet and we have the vet do what we call popping the caps. In other words, he just takes the caps and he pops them off, just takes a little tool and just kind of helps the tool or helps the tooth just come come the rest of the way out. And then while he's in there, he'll go ahead and he'll float the teeth, meaning that he'll make them even on the top and the bottom. So now the horse starts from scratch all over again. In other words, the, t- the top teeth are, are even with each other. The bottom teeth are even with each other. So now as the horse begins to eat and graze naturally, he's starting out with a clean slate and all the teeth are balanced against each other. And I'm hoping that makes sense, but but it uh, it's so, so important to, to watch that. Anytime the horse is in that age between two to early five and certainly uh, two to four, that I'm watching very carefully to make sure that those teeth look even and that they're wearing evenly. That's the first thing we begin to do. And I'll have those horses check pretty regularly. Either I'll check them or I'll have the vet check them just to make sure they, they look fairly even. The other thing we have to be aware of is because the horse's teeth are always grinding against each other, sometimes their lower jaw and their upper jaw don't glide 
evenly across each other properly. And it, sometimes that lower jaw will only gl- only glide part of the way across, which in turn means that anything that's not being ground down will continue to grow. What that means is, is that sometimes on the very outer edges of the horse's teeth, in other words, that outer edge that's closest to their cheek will oftentimes develop a point. Uh, we, we see that on, on wild hogs, for example. You know, they have those tusks that continue to grow. And then every time that wild hog opens and closes his mouth, those teeth literally touch each other and they sharpen each other. And on horses, we call that developing points. Those teeth will grow and on that very outer edge. They will develop these sharp points. And if you ever run your finger in there, you can feel how sharp those are. And what that means to the horse then is every time he eats and he's chewing, he runs the risk of basically cutting his cheeks. And one thing that I watch for is whenever I'm feeding a horse and they get anxious about eating. In other words, we know they're hungry, but sometimes they get anxious while they eat and they'll do stuff like, oh, drop a lot of their feed or they'll hold their head sideways or a little bit crooked, or they'll paw the ground while they're eating. And all that tells us is is that while they're eating, there's some anxiety going on. And more times than not, that anxiety is caused from eating what they need to do, but eating causes them pain because of those sharp points rubbing those what we call ulcers inside their mouth. And those ulcers are caused from the sharp points rubbing on that soft tissue inside their cheeks. So it's very important to watch for those signs just for the health reasons of our horses, to make sure they're getting the efficient diet that we need, they're able to chew without anxiety, uh, they're able to eat in comfort. That is uh, very important. The second half of that, though, Laura, is on the performance side. Most people, once we get our horses beyond about two years of age, most people will ride with some sort of bit in the horse's mouth. And if we think where that bit sits, it sits in the very corners of the horse's mouth. And whenever we begin to move our hands on that bit, we're running the risk of uh, the horse grimacing or moving his lower jaw in such a way that those points can actually, again, affect that soft tissue inside their mouth. Or if they've already developed ulcers or sore spots, that those points will actually interfere with those, uh, those sore spots. So now the horse might be a little bit hesitant to respond or in some cases won't respond at all just because they associate the bit with causing the pain on those ulcers in their mouth. So we can prevent that by having a farrier go in there on a fairly regular basis. And usually on the younger horses, really young, like two to four, I want the vet to at least float their mouth at least once a year and at least observe and and check their mouth twice a year. On the horses that are beyond the time in which they've shed their caps, say between five to much later in their life, up to about 12 years of age, then I'll generally have the farrier come out and check them once a year. Um, the I'll observe and, and oh, I'm sorry, not the, the farrier. I'm sorry, but the veterinarian. I'll have the vet come out and, and check those teeth. Or whenever I take the vet or the horse into the vet, I'll have the, the vet check the teeth and just make sure that those points are either manageable or that they're non-existent. Or in some cases, just while he's there, go ahead and grind them down to make sure they're nice and even and, and not causing any issues. So it's just so incredibly important to be aware of the horse's uh, dental anatomy, and then have that proper care given to them. In some cases, there's other things we can do too. We, we, a veterinarian could do what we call a bit, a bit seat on a horse, which he might round the very edge of the front molars off a little bit to, to keep the horse from uh, being irritated by the bit in some cases. But uh, the most important thing is just be very keenly aware of those points and try to keep those things ground down as much as possible. 
So you've given some suggestions in terms of how often um, their teeth should be checked. Is this something that just that any veterinarian can do, or is there some reason? Are there is, is there some reason you need to take them to some sort of specialist for their dental care? That's another great question, Laura. Because many years ago, there was a big influence in the industry that people would go and specialize in equine dentistry. And they didn't have to be veterinarians. They could just go to school, uh, buy the proper tools, get themselves very well educated on dental care and and how to, quote unquote, float a horse's teeth properly. And they could go out and start practicing dental work on horses. However, they got to thinking that because they teach that practice in vet schools, that that was actually a veterinary service. So there are still some guys out there who specialize in equine dentistry, but legally they are supposed to work under and and with a veterinarian. So they work under the care of a vet. Now, prior to that time, which was several years ago now, but prior to that time, vets were all trained, at least to some degree in vet school, to float horses' teeth. And they understood the importance of it. The problem is when you consider their overall time in vet school, the, the amount of time that they spent in the dental aspect of it, the dental care part of it, especially the floating part of it, it was like incredibly short, like literally days compared to weeks and months on other practices, which was why the need for equine dentist came about. But because it was actually a dental or because it was actually a veterinary practice aspect of it to protect the consumer and to protect the industry, they didn't restrict equine dentists from working. It's just they had to work with a veterinarian. Now, once the vets and a lot of the vet schools began to realize the true importance of it and how aware the consumer was becoming of it, now there's actually vet schools that spend a tremendous uh, more time in educating their veterinarians on that. Uh, veterinarians, on a, on, just on a financial basis, began to realize how much money they were kind of pushing away from their business by not focusing a little bit more on dental care. So to me, that makes us want to ask a really good qualifying question. If we're going to use our vet, and if let's say it's an equine veterinarian, a veterinarian that specializes in equine services, then I'm just going to ask that guy, does, what is his area of knowledge and expertise in the dental care? Does he really like it? Does he pay a lot of attention to it? Does he spend more time learning about it? Or would he prefer somebody else do it? Because there's some equine dentists out there that are great at it, or I'm sorry, uh, equine veterinarians that are great at it and do great job with dental work. And there's some guys that could care less about it, and they really want you to go to somebody who specializes. So again, it kind of gives us an opportunity to ask that question of our veterinarians. And again, most vets today, they're perfectly qualified to do it. It's just rather not, is it something that they want to do? Is it their interest? And is it something that they really follow the practice and they've gotten fairly good at doing so? Okay. So, I mean, you know, big picture, I guess the bottom line here is that for your horse's health and performance, you need to make sure their their feet and their mouths are well taken care of. And uh, you've given a lot of, I guess, good background and good tips here for people to think about in finding people to provide that kind of care for their horses. There's probably a lot more that could be said, and maybe in a future episode, we can address each one of these in a little more depth. And I would say, you know, if you're listening and you have questions about one or or the other or both of these, send those questions in and, and we can maybe assemble those questions and Van can answer them in a later episode. So if you have, whether it's questions about hoof care, questions about dental care, 
send those questions to info at vanhargis.com so that we can uh, make sure that those get answered at some point. What else, Van? I guess. Well, one thing I just want to touch on before we close, Laura, is that in regard to the dental care, one thing that's that I get asked a lot, well, I've got a horse that does this. In other words, he's uh, he, he won't stop or he won't turn to the right or he slings his head or whatever. Before we ever start thinking about changing the behavior, the first thing I tell people is always eliminate the physical. So if it's anything about their control of their head, in other words, turning left or right or elevating their head or slinging their head or chomping at the bit, any of those things, the very first thing I do as a, as a trainer is eliminate the physical. In other words, I try to to make sure the horse is not in pain in his mouth or anywhere to do with with his mouth. And once we can eliminate that, either by personal observation or having a veterinarian check him out, now we know we're working with just strictly behavior. So that's the importance of it too. I mean, apart from the health side of it and that we combine that with the behavior side of it, it's so important for us to be aware that oftentimes something physical can affect their behavior. So it's just so important for us to be aware of that, Miss Laura. All right. So again, questions, comments, send those in for Van to respond to. You can post your questions or comments on the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page, or as I said, email them to info at vanhargis.com. I want to make sure we encourage folks to check out the website at vanhargis.com to see all sorts of interesting information. You're going to find the show notes for this episode. So a little more information there. You're going to find Van's calendar so you can see where he's going to be in the months to come in case he's coming to your area uh, and you want to see him in person. You can do that. You can find the calendar on the website. If he's not coming to your area and you'd like him to, um, you can get information on the website or again by emailing info at vanhargis.com to see how you can work with Van Hargis Horsemanship to get Van to your area. It's, it's easier than you might think to help coordinate a, a clinic in your area or his appearance at an expo or something like that that's near where you are, where you can see what he does in person because he does a good job of explaining this stuff in an audio podcast, but there are some things that are much better taught in person with visual aids like a live horse. So be sure and, and check out the website for information about how you can do that. What else? The, the Van Hargis Top Hand Club. Are there, is that still open for new members? Absolutely, Miss Laura. We've, uh, that's still open and we're, we're constantly adding new videos every time we go to a clinic or every time we go to a horse expo. We're taking those tidbits. We're adding those videos to the video library as well. For those that are interested, we've got a, a brand new categorizing aspect to the video library. It categorizes everything, makes every, makes all the videos much quicker and easier to find. But I don't want folks to forget either, Laura. Just a couple of weeks ago, we announced a, a new service that we're doing, which are online lessons with me. And that's really simple. They can find it on the website. But the online lesson is where they can literally videotape themselves, send us the video, and I will evaluate it, respond back to it. And now we just kind of create a dialogue going back and forth to uh, to kind of help folks with their with their riding or their training on their horses. And we've just now just started that. And it's so far, it's worked out really great. We've had some folks work with us to kind of help us work out the kinks. And uh, so we're really pleased to be able to offer that to our listeners now. So it's online lessons with Van Hargis. 
Technology is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? I mean, I'm just, I'm blown away by it. I mean, I still have a hard time putting a debit card into a freaking thing at Walmart, but all, all this other stuff is, <laughs> I mean, if, I have to surround myself with all these people that know so much more about this technology than I do, because I'm, I'm pretty rough sometimes at just pressing the right button, but I'm just blown away by the technology. It's just amazing. Yeah. The technology that allows people to have a, a lesson with you without having to leave their f- farm or you or for you have to you having to leave yours i, I think that's right. pretty amazing right anything else they should know about before we wrap up for this time i can't think of a thing laura other than just i just want to continue to offer my appreciation to folks for all their ideas and all the things that they help us with to get to get this uh, podcast on the air and of course thanks to you and john for all you guys do to make it possible but i just want to t- remind everybody that it's your ride it's your trail and it's your journey So ride every stride.